This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. This is Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world. Brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, former USA Baseball National Team coach, Peter Caliendo. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you're at in the U.S. or around the world. Welcome to Baseball Outside the Box. I'm your host, Pete Caliendo. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Baseball Outside the Box. And you know why we call it, because we love to interview baseball's best coaching minds who love the challenge, the status quo. And we've got show number two. Remember last week we talked about the batting team? Well, we are back with Matt Helke. I'm not going to go through his whole background, but you, I told you last time he's been coaching since 1992. He's a performance optimization and mental game coach. Um, he's the founder of 360 Peak Performance, certified biomechanics specialist. And we had a great talk, which, by the way, brought out a lot of emails. This is a show that really brought out a ton of emails, a ton of comments, because, you know, we, we definitely bucked the system here a little bit that saying that, hey, the batting tee is slowing you down any progress. It's not really helping you that much. And man, did we get so much on social media and emails. So we're going to continue this great conversation. Let me welcome Matt Helke. What's up, Matt? Hey, glad to be here again. Yeah, I bet you had some fun on social media getting some emails, huh? Oh, definitely. It uh, that uh, like I said, you know, it uh, you challenge the status quo, and uh, I always say it. Baseball is an emotional sport. I, whether you're playing the game or training or using whatever, and and uh, I was the same way. And it, uh, it, I'm glad to see it. I mean, just as long as I get people thinking, I'm not here to change minds. I'm here to hopefully to maybe change one thing that somebody does that uh, makes their players better. Well, folks, uh, I don't want to throw a curveball in here, but in the future, uh, I had a talk today with three really good coaches, Matt, and uh, this got nothing to do with the show, but I want to mention to our audience, in the future, um, we are going to be talking about long toss and really, does it really improve your arm? Um, that's going to be an interesting conversation, which um, a lot of people have challenged the science because they, they can't seem to find the science behind it, but we're going to talk about that part. So that's why, again, we call it baseball outside the box. We're on challenge status quo. We may not be right all the time, folks, um, but we're doing our best to do all our research and bring in some of the best people that have done research on it. Hey, Matt, since uh, last week, tell me, what's, uh, maybe, you got some emails. Maybe mention a couple emails or an email that you received on some questions, maybe some comments, because, you know, sometimes the comments are, well, I do this with a bad 18, it works. Yeah. Oh, well, you think it works, but then is it really, really working in the game? Or was that, that was the T that helped you work? Or was it the, you know, the batting practice that you took that might've helped them work? And what, what have you, you know, what have you received? Yeah, a lot of that with the T and, and again, a lot of the things that I heard were things that I did or I've seen. And, and so I'm very, very familiar. And a lot of it is, not only just the T work in itself, but some of the um, improv that you do. And a lot of it came down to, I use the batting T, but I also throw, and then I have them do, I'll just give it, there are different scenarios, but I'll give one that should help with a lot of the others, especially when it comes to, say you put the T, you're teaching someone to hit the, the outside pitch or a, an off speed, and they put the T, you know, whatever location they need to for that. And then they've got somebody who's soft tossing, and then if they throw the ball, they'll throw it down the middle and they hit it. But if they act like they throw it and hold it, 
then the batter swings at the ball on the tee, which initially off the cuff sounds like that should work. But when you really watch, and you can go on on YouTube and watch them do it. I've watched the the Barry Larkin drill. Um, then there's, you know, I think that's one called. There's several other ones that they do. But when you watch them do it, when you throw the ball and they, they'll hit it, but when you don't throw it, they instantly pause and they right. and they look down. And if you look, it's not a fluid motion. So what they're doing now is when they don't see the ball coming, they look down, find the ball, and they go. So you see them stride, and then they stop briefly, and then they swing again. Well, now you have lost everything because we all know the swinging is from the ground up. Well, now you're teaching them to swing waist up. And that's when you get batters who lunge and lean because they're pulling everything. Your spine is what you're pulling, your, your center, your axis of rotation. And when you're trying to grab power and you're using your upper body, that's why you see the batters throw their hands. You see them leaning forward. You see them falling forward. You see them falling over. Um, so know that I understand the premise, but when you really watch what happens, you're not helping. It, it really is not helping that, that type of a situation. So hopefully that covers all the different variants that uh, some people were talking about. Yeah, because I'm going to give you one in a minute, but before I do, I want to mention, um, we're tell me if I'm right, we're talking about a few things here. When we're talking about not using the batting tee, and then we're going to get into soft toss in a second, you know, we're mm -hmm. talking about one for several reasons. One, you mentioned already, you've talked about it, why it really doesn't do what you think it does. Mm -hmm. But also, to you don't have a lot of time to practice. So why waste time doing something that's not, it may look good. It may have, right. you know, it may have stations and it looks fancy. It looks fantastic. You got double T drills and you got this T, you know, they got this guy pitching and then they're hitting off a T, you know, and the guy's not throwing the ball. Um, but in essence, you really want results and you're st you'll get more results from live throwing. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line it comes down to is, um, I'm all about the good. I mean, I'm not going to say not everybody's a good coach, but we figured out that players can figure it out. And the only way to figure it out is, we you know, we're so used to saying, thinking we have to, to again, teach them every little minutia. You want to be a sculptor, not a painter. A painter always adds, 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 adds. If they don't like it, they okay, keep adding. Sculptors brick cut back till they find the true core, the beauty of whatever they're sculpting. So, we don't want to keep adding. We give them a little bit and let them come forth and figure things out because everybody's biomechanics, their way they move are different. A lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences. And once we let them start figuring these out, you'll be amazed that a lot of these quote unquote flaws will either disappear. A lot of them do. And the ones that do remain are a lot less and they're easier to work on. And you can still work on them. You can work on any mechanic flaw with live pitching and it's mm -hmm. better because then they make that connection instantly yeah you know folks if you're on facebook we're talking about the batting team we're going to talk about soft toss you got any questions comments just write them in the uh comments section i'll try to pick them up here i appreciate you joining us on facebook um you know before we get into soft toss yeah. i want to i just i want to mention this because uh, my good friend from bulgaria stefan he um he you know sent me several emails and he had, a, you know, he said when he was younger, he used a batting tee and it really helped him a lot. And, you know, but I could imagine what happened if he didn't use the batting tee and he actually went to what you're talking about. We're going to talk about here in a little bit. You're going to show, right. gonna talk about some of the examples of what to do and how to, you know, uh, work on hit with hitters. 
Imagine if he was doing that. If he was successful off the tee, I don't know how much, but if he thought he was, imagine how much he would have been if he wasn't using the tee. And one of the examples, and I, I like the example, and I'm, I want to ask you this because I, I do have a question about this. Um, tee ball. You could use it with tee ball or you could use it with just with tees. What happens if you have a situation where you're trying to work? He calls it the mental part. I might call it the visual part. Mm -hmm. um, it might be a combination of both, right? Because it's the brain. If I have somebody, you know, who's throwing a pitch or pretending to throw a pitch like they would in a regular game, that might be a coach. And then the hitter, whoever it may be, is hitting the ball off the tee when they think the ball is going to be there. Um, explain why that could be wasting your time also, why maybe it doesn't work or you have a better system that 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 would develop a, a hitter much better than than doing that. What do you think? Well, there's many ways I can answer this question. That's all right. You yeah. got time. Take your time. Yeah, well, well, first of all, you know, the study show by the time the pitch, even um, um, Adair, you know, physicist for the National League, and you know, put out the, you know, everything you have in your brain is halfway before, you know, by the time the ball is halfway to the plate. Once it's past that, um, you know, your your chances of you can't react. Your your video visual motor system is not fast enough, and by the time it's approximately twenty feet away, you lose sight of it anyhow because of what's called angular velocity. Your eyes can't keep up with it. Mm -hmm. So let me back it up. So everything we need to view and start and, and get our mechanics working and in timing starts with the pitcher. And as the ball's coming, yeah, we got to time the pitcher. Then we got to time the ball. So if you don't have a ball in your hand, you're not tracking anything. You're not timing anything. And then you're looking down and you're seeing the, and you can see the ball on, on the tee and you swing. So that really isn't helping as much. Um, even if you do it by throwing a real pitch and then hitting the ball at the tee, well, that pitch crossing the plate is going to be different than unless you're a great pitcher can hit the ball on the tee, but then it's not helping you either, either. So, right. you know, and, and something like that, if you want to get them starting to use to it, um, have either have them stand at the plate and watch you throw without a bat, at least start getting some things I'll talk about later. Um, some of the things we do in our practices is, and I'm, I know I'm sure some college do it too, is when our pitchers are doing, you know, a bullpen, have a batter stand up there without a bat and they go through their, the things that I teach them from a timing standpoint and they can say, yeah, I would swing and no, I wouldn't, you know, they need to be seeing pitches thrown to them. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll bring up a Perry husband. I know he's been on your show a few, a couple times and, and they talked about Jenny Finch. She's a softball player who struck out all these major league and they, everybody was astonished. How could she throw them out? And they said, well, it, she was closer. Now, it was still coming in as fast, if not a little bit slower than a major league fastball. Number one, it was timing. Yes, she was close. So they're they're not used to that timing. Number two, it's a visual. He did the study and he says that one of the main things that makes it hard, it, it's the visual where batters are used to seeing a pitch coming from a certain, sometimes they call them lane, they'll call it a window or from a certain area. And that's what they gauge all their mechanics on, their timing. Well, Jenny Finch, a softball player, is throwing underhand, and their eyes are now down lower, and they're not used to that. They're not seeing the trajectory of the ball from that angle. And they all, I mean, he made, she made them all look like, you know, fools, which, uh, you know, and, and they laughed, and it was a great time. But so that's one thing we got to look at is we have to practice, again, from a, from a tee or soft toss, we need to get of what they're doing in a game. We practice all these things. And we're looking down, we're looking to the side, or we're looking from 20 feet away. And now all of a sudden we're getting one from 46, 50, you know, 60 feet away. 
we never taught, we were never learned that way. We never, you know, we didn't learn anything that way. So now you, your minds will start from square one. And that's, you know, what Perry was talking about. That's why these guys were striking out. How many years did these guys do tea work and all this stuff? Right. And they're monsters. And here's this girl comes up and smokes them. And it was one thing. Where's the ball coming from? They never practiced that way. But when we practice with soft toss and all these other things, where are we practicing? From an angle we never see in a game. So therefore, it's not going to transfer over to a game. Yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, <laughs> yes, it does. And what's interesting is about, if you look at it, there's a couple of major league players who throw from underneath, almost oh, hit yeah. the ground with their hand. And hitters have trouble with those pitches. There's no doubt you, about it. You get um, down from, if you watch them from sidearm to submarine pitchers, when they first come in, they, they get they, some of these guys are only throwing 85 miles an hour. Right. And but it's what they've not seen. Now, if you see it enough, you get up there. That's why you ever watch. They don't last more than a couple innings because then they start kind of seeing it and use it. But then they don't see it for a while again and they lose it. So, yeah, that's why those guys are so good at when they come in, because batters haven't seen that stuff. And the movement of the ball is different. It reminds me of El Duque. He came in through five, five different angles. El Duque, so yeah. Tough at the beginning. Um, also reminds me of, you know, in the last, I remember here in Chicago, 2015, I was at Wrigley Field. Uh, Major League Baseball started to implement this. That's how late Major League Baseball was in a lot of training methods because it was old-fashioned for a lot of years. We've got right. a lot of great coaches now making changes in the system. Um, I remember watching uh, hitters, and we did this 10 years ago, let's say, and I'm not saying that we were geniuses, but we did it 10 years ago. Um, we were putting hitters when pitchers were pitching bullpens, when, when pitchers, right. you know, were getting ready for a game, we were putting hitters up there with helmets on, not, not only for the hitters benefit, for the pitchers benefit. Oh yeah. Now you, so it makes a lot of sense. So instead of using T's, you could be doing a lot of these other things as stations. I, I love it. I think we're heading in the right track and folks, just so you know, um, Matt's going to get to his system and tell you a little bit of how he does things with his hitters. I think it'll make it even more clear. But before we do, Matt, let's get yeah. into because um, here's the uh, here's the magic thing or the magic wand here with uh, we got two more things that you got soft toss from mm -hmm. the side, which I know a lot of guys have eliminated. Some don't because they, they're restricted with 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 uh, maybe facilities and size right. of rooms that they're in. But let's talk about soft toss on the side and front toss. Why, again, you may be wasting your time doing this. There's better ways to do things to prepare your hitters. Well, I've got to set it up before we get there so so everybody can understand where we're coming from. Um, you know, first of all, pitchers have basically four ways to get batters out. Number one, velocity. I mean, some guys who can just so, throw smoke and get it past you. So, but then on the flip side of that too, they also do uh, you know change of speed. They can do you know curveballs, sliders, uh, changeups. They also work with location. And you know what? I mean, you always heard, you know, the, what's the best pitch? You always heard the best pitch is a, is a well-located fastball. Right. You know, if a pitcher can locate their pitches, they are just as devastating as somebody who can smoke it past you because they can hit spots. And the fourth thing, fourth thing is strategy. How do they use those first three things? And how do they use them in combination? So those four things going in, the pitcher has to get to a batter. And you've got to figure out as a batter and see and, um, and try to figure out. But also on the other side of that is there's left-handed and right-handed pitchers. All those different arm slots and angles for, for those pitchers. You've got tall and short pitchers. I mean, you've got pitchers who are 6'9". You've got other pitchers who are six foot. That's different you know, heights of a pitch. Mm -hmm. Then you also have the tempo. And I love, and I did a video, for training video for some of my players, Cueto. You know, he used to do the quick pitch, 
the real, you know, wobbly thing and all this. Well, pitchers, all pitchers have different delivery tempos. Some are fast, some are medium, and some are slow. So there's the other things you got to figure out. Now let's break it down to the distance. We, we're always talking about, you know, distance and, you know, where the T is and soft toss and how you hit. Whenever we talk about reaction time, everybody talks about reaction time of, um, you know, they take it from 60 feet, six inches from the you know, front of the rubber to home plate. Um, and I'm going to use a 90 mile an hour fastball and a mile an hour, 90 mile an hour fastball from 60 feet, six inches is approximately like 458 milliseconds, which is almost a half a second. The problem with that is pitchers don't release the ball at 60 feet, six inches. Most pitchers stride are approximately five feet. So mm-hmm. technically now the ball is actually now 55 feet away before any speed is on you. But then we have to turn it to the other side and look at the batter. For a batter to hit a ball, you know, solid, they want to hit out in front of them. Well, that's another two or you know, one to two feet. You're going to take off that distance. So that's 60 feet, six inches, and you have time to react in that time is no. You've got to take about seven feet off just from that pitch. Now it's a 53-foot pitch. Mm-hmm. Now, the fifth, now, the reaction time for a 53-foot pitch is, and I figured this one out, it's 401, 401 milliseconds. Now let's take that and have it. So get to the halfway point, it's 200 milliseconds. Just make it easy numbers. Mm-hmm. Biologically, and this is, you can, anybody Googles it, you can find this. And then basically it takes a hundred milliseconds for a batter to see the ball once it releases out of the pitcher's hand. So that's a hundred milliseconds. So now we'll go to the batter. Once the batter sees that pitch, finally, after the first hundred milliseconds, it takes him approximately 25 milliseconds to decide whether he's going to swing or not. So he decides to swing. It takes, again, another approximately 25 milliseconds for that signal to go from the brain to activate the muscles to start to swing. It takes, on average, 150 milliseconds to swing the bat. So if you have a piece of paper, put a circle on one side in the middle and put a circle on the other side. And then I want you to take take half of that. So the, fir- the half with the side with the pitcher it's 200 milliseconds or 200 milliseconds. The other half with the side with the batter is 200 milliseconds also. So, so take hundred milliseconds off the pitcher side. So that has that. Now go to the batter side, take the 25 off for, Oh, I'm going to swing. So you made that decision, take 25 off for the signal to get to your muscles, to start to swing and take another 150 milliseconds off because that's how long it takes the average to swing a bat. So I'm looking at 100 milliseconds on one side. So I still got another 100 milliseconds over on the pitcher side. I'm good. But I go over on the other half on the batter side. I'm all full. 25 and 25 is 50 and 150 is 200. So now the pitch is halfway. Of course, we take in consideration once the ball is halfway, your visual, video, visual motor system slow anyhow. So you're not going to probably be able to do anything about it. So let's look at where batting tee and soft toss takes, soft toss takes place takes place in an area you have no, no time, there's nothing to do. It's, it's full. So that's number one thing of when we start talking about we're practicing in an area that it's the hundred milliseconds in front of that on the other half of the half <laughs> is where our decisions making and what dictates our swing, what dictates our decision, what dictates where the ball's going to be. We have to guess by the time that ball is halfway, because we've got to start our swing. We're guessing, we're guessing a halfway point. And we're thinking where it's going to be. And that's where we're swinging to an area that we're guessing at. 
So we have to spend time really honing down that pitcher side of the half to make our half, the other side of the half, better. And that dictates our mechanics. So that starts off with that. So as you mentioned, we talk about soft toss. There's two traditional, say, front toss. One's underhand and one, you know, hate to say it's like throwing darts. Right. And where do you normally get? You're probably, I mean, I've seen soft toss underhand from 15 feet away. Right. At max, you're 25 feet away. You're not even close to the halfway point. The visual's wrong. Um, and number two, when you think, you ever think, you know, people use those small balls, which are great. I mean, I use them occasionally too. You realize when a ball is thrown, when the pitcher sees it from 60, 55 feet, that's technically the size of what that ball looks like. <laughs> okay. So when we're soft tossing at 20 feet, 25 feet, we're basically seeing a beach ball compared to what we're seeing technically. So yeah, visually we're seeing more. So there's a lot of things. There's a lot of visual cues and how we work mechanically. You know, I mean, if you're going to do a tightrope, I mean, unless you've got a lot of practice, you don't do a blindfold. You need the visual and the balance with it. And the, and your vision goes with the same thing with pitching or hitting pitchers. The visual helps coordinate the mechanics of things that you've got to make associations. And if you associate a Jenny Fitch, you know, softball being thrown up at you and you practice the heck out of it. And then you get to a game, you know, it, it's like you're looking at, uh, you know, a language you don't know because you haven't practiced it. Hopefully yes. that answers some of your questions. Excellent. And I love it. And I think what we're saying here is we're basically trying to train for real game situations. So in, your, in, your, in your estimation, then we should be at at least how many feet, if we're going to do a front toss but i mean like depending on the age of the player you know if you got if you got an older player that's you might you might have to stand up to throw or if you have young kids you might you could be on on a stool but you got to go through the motion i would think well and that's part of our training distance yeah anything we do anything with hitting is always and i'll get into the training and understand that with handbrake and ball release and they always do these things so when i talk about live pitching it's great if you can do it from 60 feet. My God, if you can do it from 60 feet, power to you. I can't. I have never, I was never, a, I was an outfielder. I was not a pitcher. Um, you know, if you can get at least to 45 to 50 feet, I would say 45 would be a drop dead um, point. I wouldn't get any closer than that. And at 45, most people can still throw pretty accurately. Sure. Um, and I'm not lobbing him in. I mean, when, when you're doing this legitimately, then when I'm first starting out, yes, well, again, it's part of our training, but I might, you know, I try to stay around the strike zone. But, you know, for the most part, I, I'm trying, I'm telling the batter, I'm trying to strike you out. You know, when boxers spar and do things, they don't go in there with one guy. And when they start sparring, they don't, the guy doesn't just lay there and say, punch me in the face. He's trying to lay punches also and trying to make him work and get better. It's the only way, because the game is, is basically unpredictable. And we're trying to bring some as much predictability, you know, as we can, you know, Navy SEALs always go into a, and I, I heard this a while back from a training that, you know, Navy, Navy SEALs go into it, basically situations there, they have no clue what the outcome's going to be. They don't know what's going to happen, but they go in knowing what they want to do. They go in with an understanding, with a plan. That's the same thing with batters. We go into that, that batter's box and we're at a deficit to begin with. Mm-hmm. Batters are going to be at a deficit every time because you don't know what pitch is coming. So you got to go in there with a plan. And part of that plan is practicing. My whole mantra for our team is you practice as you play. Mm-hmm. That's why, I mean, 
especially in college, no one runs, no one walks off the field. No, you know, they ever, they're trying to do things as they play. So why do we not do that when we're hitting? You practice as you play, and that takes it to the game. If you don't do it that way, it's hard to take it to the game when you've never practiced that way. Man, so, coaches, coaches that are asking, you know, they might be asking, okay, I've got different ages. Obviously, if they're thrown from 46 feet, that changes. Right. You know, if they're in distance, 46 feet, it's all relative to their age. Um, but also briefly, and then we'll get into more in details. I'm working with young kids or, yeah. you know, kids, kids are all different, right? Some kids are really struggling hitting um, and some are really good hitters. Right. So how do you work with those kids? Are you just slowing the ball down? Are you throwing, you know, cause you said it's going to be competitive, but they got to start somewhere to feel comfortable, get the swing going before you can just make it real tough on them. No. Right. Yeah. I guess, yeah, we can go a little bit from a training aspect. There's, there's three to four things I, I, well, there's really four things I always train straight out of the bat. I, unless some mechanic is so egregiously bad, I don't touch mechanics at, at first. The first thing I work on is, uh, you know, I'll video and see, you know, what their swing looks like. But as I work with them, the first thing we have to do is get them their timing down. Mm-hmm. So even like the 10 year olds I work with, the first thing I work with is handbrake and ball release, which I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing is, is the time the pitcher takes the ball out of his glove to the point he's releasing it, uh, it, it never changes. It's good. That's the one thing they can do all other antics before that, like Cueto does. But if you watch, that's the same exact timing they're going to have. So to start with the timing, I teach them handbrake and ball release. So I tell them when I take the, my hand out of my gl- glove, I go, you load. You don't start moving forward until the ball is out of my hand or somewhere around. It can be a little sooner. It can be a tad later. It doesn't have to be exactly perfect. But when I, so it's, I go load, go. And I verbally tell them and I watch them and I'll tell you right off. Most of the younger kids are going when the ball's out of the pitcher's hand. That's when they load and they're too late. Yep. And that's where a lot of your mechanics, they got to force everything. And they're too quick. And when you watch them do that, they will toe tap. They'll do, and you'll just go, okay. And you just keep working on that. It's amazing though, how quick they do start picking that up. And you'll start seeing stride differences. You'll start seeing maybe they'll pick their leg up a little further. Maybe they'll stride a little further. I don't care. Their body's starting to figure out the timing, and that's great because they're figuring it out. And I'm not saying, well, you got to stride this far. You got to do it, just depends on the person. So part of that is handbrake and ball release. That's a number one thing. And I'll be honest with you, with after about the second lesson, I've never, I don't have to. And let's say if I get to the second or third or fifth lesson and we're working on something else and I do my handbrake and they don't load, I'll actually will, I'll go and I'll stop. I go, ah, you're a little bit late on that. And I'll go back as a cue. I won't go ahead and pitch it because I don't want them to get used to that again. And they'll go, oh yeah. Or, you know, things that. So I try to keep reinforcing it. So I'm always watching for that. And usually after the second lesson, I've never had to say a word about it. Um, From there, we go to what I call right now. And it's you can't do handbrake and ball release at the same time because they're stemming off the same thing. Right now is getting their timing of understanding and getting spatial awareness. Uh, that's how you're going to gauge how fast the ball's coming, where it's going to be located, things of this nature. And we got to get those before the by the time the ball is halfway to home plate. So how do we do that? We got to get it ahead of time. So we start saying, I tell them, say, I went when I bring the ball out of my glove, you start saying right. You don't say now until right before you hit the ball, because technically your eyes have to get to that spot before your your bat does. 
your eyes, if you watch the pros, their eyes get to a spot and then the ball and the bat come together. So I have them say right now. So they'll go right. And just right before they say now, if they swing, we should hear now bing. And again, you'll see their timing. It slows the game down. Let's be honest. You got guys throwing hard and throwing on it. You got to slow the game down to figure stuff out. When we wait till the ball's out of their hand, the speed of the game has gone up, you know, tenfold. So right now is ball coming out of your glove. You start saying, right. And I throw it and they say now, even if they don't swing, I want them to say now about where they think they are going to, to hit the ball. Again, it gets them. And the cool thing about this is and my players do it. Um, they're on the on-deck circle. They're saying it in their head. I tell them, if you're off time and miss a pitch, just start doing right now in your head. I said, if you do it out loud, you know, people think you're crazy, but right. you can do that that technique you can do in the batter's box and allows you to get in time because all of a sudden you see like a curveball and all speed, you're going right. We've seen terrible swings and batters have hit the ball because they're on time with it. Even though they're throwing their rear end one way, their arms are going, I mean, they just have horrible because they were fooled. But guess why they hit the ball and got a base hit. They were on time with the pitch. It was nothing with mechanics because their mechanics were horrible. Go on YouTube and watch. You can see terrible swings. But why did they hit the ball? Because they were on time with the pitch and the ball coming in. So this helps batters get in time and start being aware of the pitch itself. You know, all these things are going on around them, especially littler players. You know, the younger players, you know, it's kind of like shiny, uh, dangling shiny objects. They, they can get distracted. If they're watching handbrake, a ball release, or right now, what are they focused on? The ball, because it's geared off of the ball. Yep. I don't care what the pitcher's doing. I want to know what the ball's doing. So handbrake and ball release right now. Uh, the other thing we do is once we start getting them used to that is I move into – and you'll start seeing mechanics change a bit, and that's great. And here's where they really will start going. I start doing it's it's hunting pitches, um, and I did a video on this, and I did a pro game, and I don't know it happened like seven or eight times in a in a Pittsburgh uh, and Cincinnati game, and I that was great because I recorded them. And the, the thing is, mo a lot of it's not that they had bad mechanics; they swung at the wrong pitch. So what does it mean by hunting pitches? You know, when a deer hunter goes out to hunt deer, does he go out and shoot rabbits? No, he's going to go to hunt deer. He, that's what he's there for. If he doesn't shoot the deer, he shoots a rabbit. He's going to scare off the deer and he's not going to be, you know, live up to his expectations of being a you know, bag of deer. When you're hunting pitches, when there's no strikes, you should only swing at the only pitch you know you can absolutely beat the living crap out of. That's the pitch where if, if it's thrown there, you, you basically... 99.8% of the times you hit it. So what happens is what we're doing right now at handbrake and ball release, as a coach, you got to watch and see where are those pitches they're actually hitting pretty well. So you've got to move it around a little bit. And you'll start seeing, you know, what we all say the hot zone. Go on, look at the heat maps for pros on right, baseball yeah, yeah. savant and all this stuff. You know, that's where they can crush the ball. That's their hot zone. You know, so why in the world when if you uh, uh, was it Ted Williams, even though his chart about where he's you know hit so well his hot zone you can find it anywhere you want now that was his, his was self-reporting so how accurate that perfectly was we don't know but but the thing is he never swung at a pitch low and outside because he batted like 230 why would he do that when he batted like 460 dead center right. he didn't swing at those pitches and when he did there's pictures of him he looks like crap okay 
So as a batter, when I'm up there with, unless it's a situation, of course, unless you've got a hit and run or something else, I don't care if it's a strike. Just because it's a strike doesn't mean you have to swing. If it's a strike and you bat 120 in it, why are you swinging at it? So we're hunting in the area of where you know you can beat the, you know, you know what out of the ball. With no strikes, that's the only pitch I want you to swing at. So if I throw 10 pitches, they're all strikes, but not in that zone, you should not swing. All right. And then we go to one strike. Then the sp- ex- it, it zones, you know, it gets a little bigger. Then two strikes, obviously, you're all over. So how do we learn and get the player to understand this? You got to reverse it in the first training. First thing you do is you don't say a word. You come into when you're going to introduce um, hunting pitches, just start throwing 20 pitches. Don't say you're, you know, just say, okay, we're handbrake ball release, whatever you've been working on, and watch where they swing. You're going to notice they're going to swing at probably 17 to 20, if not all those pitches that you throw. All right. Then you can turn around and say, all right, just throw at the one. Just now I want you to do another 20. Say, just swing at the ones that are strikes. So at that point, you want to try to throw about half of them that aren't strikes and half that are, you know, plus or minus one or two is not a problem. But what you see is they're going to all of a sudden swing at obviously fewer pitches. They're going to probably swing at about maybe 50% if they're good. And then you'll tell them, why didn't you swing at some of those other pitches? Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you straight up, they, they, weren't, they weren't strikes. So then you go back to the third phrase. And again, you go 20 pitches. Tell them to only swing at the pitches they feel they can just knock the socks off of it. I don't care if say, don't care if it's a strike. You think you can hit it? No. I want the only ones you can swing at the ones you can only just beat up. You're going to find out there's probably only going to be five or six, if that, that they'll swing and they'll and they will hit the the daylights out of them. Now you're going to show them and say, so when you're at the plate, which 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 balls do you think you ought to swing at? Now you get them an understanding of, oh, these are the ones I can really hit. So now when you start doing batting practice or any practices with them, and I don't care if it's with a heavy ball or wiffle balls or whatever, and you're doing live pitching, always tell them, you know, no strikes or two strikes or one strike. Get them to understand and learn patience, you know, because the bottom line is it's not swing training, it's hitting training. And to hit a ball, you hit the pitches you can smoke. Those are the ones you want to go for. So, I always laugh. My analogy is this when a basketball player is, uh, you know, has a free layup. Do you prefer them to try that low percentage three pointer instead? Or do you, he's uncontested layup. You take the layup, yep. you know, quarterback, does he throw when a guy's in double coverage or does he take the guy wide open in the flats? Goes with the guy in the flats. You don't force it. You go for what you know you can do and then expand it. As you obviously get further into count, you can't be as picky. So that is the other aspect of how we go about doing that. And so in the, after that, like I said, after the practices, after that, and you're working handbrake ball release or right now and hunting pitches, the hunting pitches is always, always, always going to be mentioned on, all right, here, you know, you throw, you don't tell them how many say, you know, one strike, I'll mix it up. There's one strike. I'll throw four or five pitches. Okay. There's no strikes. Then there's two strikes. So they always have to be thinking and, and it gets ingrained in their mind of what to swing at. And they'll be impressed. They'll be some, and you'll see really with the no strike swings and they crush their mechanics are even better then. Then they're going to have to be, because once you start getting out of your, your zone and really bad pitches, you can't keep perfect mechanics to hit those balls. Anyhow, 
there's some things you have to do, but you can't keep perfect, perfect mechanics. So. Yeah. You know, let me tell you coaches, what I love about this and I'll mention that I probably mentioned three times already, but one of the things I love about it, one, you're going to save a lot of time. I know it doesn't relate to, you know, getting better hitters, but it does because the second thing is hitters are now learning how to adjust on their own. The body, as you said, is learning to adjust and learn to do the right things. So you're not wasting as much time trying to figure out all these mechanics, which that's the other part I love. Um, and the other part is that we're training more live situation, but at the same time, if you think about it, and, and I'm speaking to the coaches out there, if you think about this, the part we're really missing, we're missing the things we just talked about, but the part we're really missing is the, is the last part you talked about, the hunting pitches, because I'll be honest with you, even in college baseball 20, 30 years ago when I played, I really didn't have a clue which where was my best spot to swing at. I swung at what I thought was my best spot, but I wasn't a very good hitter. So obviously I was not hunting pitches. And Matt, I believe that and when I talk about this on the show all the time, with everything you're talking about, the younger you can start teaching this, the better it will be because I think hitters will be a lot more successful by the time they get to high school and college, man, if they're oh. starting to do this at 11, 10 years old. Absolutely. And I, and honestly, for, for any of the buddy who's coaching little, you know, little guys, um, and I've had to do it even for some, you know, freshmen in high school, teach them how to get hit by a pitch. Younger players are, they don't care what they say. They are, it's going to hurt. Yes. It, it's going to hurt, but you're not going to die from it. Knock on wood. Yeah. So, I also teach them how to hit, you know, if it's the ball's coming straight and it's at your head, you bail. And I teach them if it's, you know, from about mid shoulder down to your rear end, I teach them how you turn and, and exactly how you do it and turn your head up and protect you know, yourself like this. And if it's from your waist down, you just act like it and just take it like a man. And when I start with, you know, whether it's wiffle balls and I use tennis balls and I do, I'll sit there and I'll throw at them. I won't, then I'll throw at them and I have them bailing out like it's real. Once they get comfortable and, and they feel comfortable, like I can get out of the way, no one's taught them. You, they yell, get out of the way of the ball. Teach them how. Once you get that out of their mind, they've got the confidence that they can get out of the way. Now the confidence is they're going to stay in there and they're going to have more confidence. They're not, they're not up at the, at the plate scared of getting hit. They're happy because they want to hit the ball, not be hit by the ball. Right. And, you, and you're doing it in a safer manner. Yes. Um, that's why you're teaching that technique because now it's even safer for the players because no doubt they're going to end up getting hit. So if you're going to end up getting hit, do it in a safe way. So oh, absolutely. You know, when your chest isn't exposed or your face, and it makes total sense because that translates, like you said, into the hitting part because you become more confident in staying in there. And I think that's relative to a lot of young kids yeah. that it, once they get hit by the ball, you know, they're scared. Now they don't want to play the game anymore. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, I've had several, I've a couple and say, he's afraid he's been hit. So we took care of that. We worked with him and he was never taught how to get out of the way. I mean, hate to say it. I always tell my players, I go, look, when you see a curve box, I teach them how to, what to look for things of a curve box. I said, if I see no offense to the opposite sex, when I make this, but if I see you jump out of the, out of the way of a curveball and scared like a little girl, I go, don't come back into my dugout. I go, if it's going to hit you, then turn and get hit. Like we, we were taught or, off on it because it's coming down again i teach them how to you know, do that but you know the point is unless it's coming directly at your head or your you know lower top of your your back you, you don't need to jump out of the way you just unfortunately got to take it <laughs> but learn how to do it but most people don't 
Hey, speaking about that one comment, people have your your email now, so I'm sure you're going to get some emails. Have fun responding to that one. <laughs> um, hey, Matt, the other part is it, what I'm thinking about is, you know, as we talk about, you know, this is all real game situations. That's what we're basically trying to teach them. The more real game stuff you're producing, like you said, you're setting up as a real game, the more successful players are going to be. And I mean, this is relative to any skill you're really working on. Um, and again, in my brain, I keep thinking, man, massive amount of time saved when oh. we talk about practice organization. Well, I sent and you know, I sent you a video of one of the players just to prove my point. We have uh, I have a video of one of our players like a week before preseason, just for the listeners and viewers who haven't seen it. And when you video, and you can attest, if you saw his swing and one week in, before our first game in preseason, it, it, he had some issues and flaws in his swing, to, to be nice about it. And, you know, I, I laugh because 15 years ago, I would have had him off to the side. We'd be working on tee and soft toss and all this stuff. And the only thing I taught him, and, and really all I teach my players now, uh, unless – and then I do take them further once they get all this down is I only teach them handbrake ball release. Um, I teach them right now, hunting pitches and what something I call stick to pin. It's how you go, you know, once you stride forward, then you, a lot of younger players especially keep riding forward once your front foot plants. And that's when your rotation, you go from linear to rotational. And it's, a, again, I call it stick to pin because you're sticking the pin and you're rotating. I taught him that, and within three weeks, if you saw his, you saw his video, mm -hmm. and I'll be honest with you, that was a game tying double he hit, or a, he hit a single but scored two runs, and it was a solid hard line drive. It's in the same pitch location, but in a game, and it's night and day the swing. Now he still has some mechanical flaws that we can work on still with live pitching, but he he put the effort in. I mean, you know, I tell my players if if you don't want to do this, you have somebody else you're, you're being trained with. I'm not going to force you to do it. Just let me know. And I won't keep telling you this, but if you do, and it's funny because even in the video, because this game was being broadcast live over like Facebook live, you can hear our players all through the game yelling, come on, hunt it, hunt the pitch. Or you hear handbrake, get on handbrake. They're coaching each other. I didn't have to say anything. That's where I know, again, if they learn that on them and figure stuff out, that makes my job so much easier. My job as a coach is not to make myself up obsolete. I'm now there more for tune up later on. You know, a game is not the place to practice. How are they going to self-correct? They, As we mentioned in the last video, I want players to self-correct. They do that in the game. makes my job as a coach easier. In fact, now I can now coach more advanced techniques versus mm -hmm. always working on these, these these basic trivial things. And, you know, if I have a more advanced player who's not above, I can show him some more advanced techniques, how to read the pitcher, read the pitch, tells how to really hit the outside pitch, how to hit a curveball, and, a, you know, hitting the curveball in an off-speed pitch is not what people think when you watch enough videos of 30 and years. You're and you're reading my mind because I was going to ask you about the curveball. Uh, talk about that. Well, to, to view the curveball, especially if you're in high school, in fact, college and younger, um, I've got a video of, I think it's um, – I've got uh, Bauer when he was with the Reds, and it shows him throwing fastball, slider, uh, changeup, and curveball. And I've got them all synced up because he was doing it in warm-up, and I put a line across. And you can see, I think it's Perry Husband talks about the tunnel. Mm -hmm. I call them lanes. but And I always talked about, okay, when a pitch comes out, so a fastball when it comes out, it's coming out straight and down. 
All right, now if it's a tube seam or whatever, it's gonna break after you can see it anyhow, so you can't do anything. You're just trying to read what's what, potentially the speed. A curveball, I'm you know, some of them are really good, but most of them, when they throw it, it loops out of their hand. So once you see it loop, if you're paying attention to a handbrake and ball release, you're gonna see a difference in that loop. Some pitchers um, tilt more. Again, there's a lot of different tells, but just right out, if you're watching handbrake and ball release or doing right now, you're watching that ball out of that pitcher's hand. Of course, now you really don't see it until 10 feet until it's out, but you'll noticeably see a loop. I did one with Strasburger. I mean, we know Strasburger. I mean, when he was in his heyday and throwing smoke and his mm-hmm. and everything, you could see his changeup at full speed. I had players go and I did it. What's his pitch? I got him. They could tell when he's throwing a curveball or a change or a, or a fastball. You know, changeups. You can see a body soften. Um, once you, but again, it's not like you're going to see it. Once I show you, you're not going to get it right away. It is something that's a learned and most pitchers have little different tells, you know, some curveball pitchers, let me put it this way. If you throw a curveball and it's coming up high, it's probably going to drop in your zone. If you see it come out of his hand and it's straight and it's looped and comes, it's going in the dirt. What now, what do you do? What do you do with, when you talk about training, are we are we sitting there, you know, throwing a lot of curveballs so kids get used to seeing the curveball, or are we mixing it up, or is there a process, or does it depend on the hitter? If if yeah, when I first start working with them, I, I mean, I'm mainly my natural throw is a slider. I, I mean, I, it's hard for me to throw a fastball. I throw a slider. Yeah. Um. So I, I always laugh when I tell these guys that if you can hit a, hit my hit my pitch, it's a slider, and I can throw a pretty good curveball. My two seamers are all right. I mean, I've had 30 years to work on this stuff. My son was a great slider pitcher, so he taught me how to throw a few pitchers. But um, I usually start off just by normally throwing, trying to move fastballs or two seams. So they ha- there's always one that's going fairly straight and one's having some movement, but it's still about the same speed. Once we get those down, then I start saying, I'll just all of a sudden throw a changeup. And one or two, and I don't tell them. And they'll whiff. And they'll laugh and I'll laugh. I go, what was that? So then I'll see if they know I'm going to mix them up. Because sometimes they'll, I'll just say, stand there. I don't want you to swing. I'm going to throw a pitch and you tell me what it is. Mm-hmm. They don't swing. They're just going to see what it is. Mm-hmm. And I try to throw my best, the different variations of, of, you know, of pitches. And But once I start going into that, when we do batting practice, once I get them past, they you know, handbrake ball release, hunting pitches, and there's not another maybe little mechanical thing I have to work with. Even working with those, I'll still work on different mechanical issues. But I've got to get them start reading the pitch and understanding and, and getting because if I'm doing right now for timing, there's other things they got to watch, you know, to be able to try to hit. So I do I mix kind of like the the make it stick. It's funny I did it before I read the book. Is I don't tell them that it's coming. I throw them and see if they adjust to it. And if they don't. They'll laugh, I'll laugh or whatever, and they'll say, what was that? And they'll tell me exactly. In fact, some of them are really good at telling what pitch it is. And I'm not so great. I said, now, you know that from me, but what tells them? I? And I try sometimes to do a tell just to see if they pick up on it. And I go, well, how'd you know it was a changeup? Sometimes they'll say, I saw you do this. Or that now they're reading the picture to get tells ahead of time. Again, th- there's a lot of different things we can go into, but to bust it down simply, once I start probably about the fourth or fifth lesson and I'm we're throwing – uh, I'm throwing practice to them, like I better put it. I am throwing more than just fastballs. I'm throwing other pitches. I'm throwing them in the dirt. I would say most of the time I'm throwing them in the dirt on purpose <laughs> or off, but I am still mixing up pitches. The ones I try to get three pitches down. My best ones are, well, I have four, but a fastball, um, my slider, which most people, but if you can do a fastball, curveball, change up, that's it. That's good enough. Just get them to learn those pitches. Yep. 
Yeah, by the way, you're going to be putting some videos on your website, baseballobserver.thebaseballobserver.com. Talk about you have some videos up there. You've got some. Yeah, I'm uh, going. You got some uh, articles that I think people love. So tell, talk about those. I want people to know about it. Yeah, on the front page, I've got the landing page of it. I've got our first um, a podcast, and I put next to it the uh, download the, the batting tee report that they can. And when this gets done, I'll put the link up there also for this, um, whether audio or video, I don't know which one I put up. I'm finishing up a video that will help complement the, these two um, episodes we've done that'll give you more of a visual of, uh, you know, why not soft toss or, or batting tee. And I, I do, I did get permission from uh, the parents and the player who I was talking about, who made the fantastic strides, his video will be on there and you'll see the difference. And again, we never did any mechanical work with him whatsoever. It was only timing work that we worked with him. And uh, it was amazing. I, I actually sent the video to my coaches and they, they said, yeah, we knew he was just a great. And we did, I had other players did the same thing that really did well. Again, when I've got my players yelling it from the dugout at each other while they're at the plate or whatever, I, I, you know, I feel good because they know it works and that's the main thing. And it does work. And folks, I encourage you to go to the baseballobserver.com. Check out the website. Don't be afraid. Uh, if you got any questions, you could email me at caliendo19 at gmail.com where you can get a hold of Matt on the website um and i want to encourage everybody to go there because i think it's fantastic hey i told you um i, I had a feeling about this and i and i was right about it there's a second show it's even better than the first um and it keeps getting better so we're, we're not going to stop we're going to have some more shows we may have some other shows in the middle but we're going to have some other shows here matt tell me if we mi missed something you wanted to really discuss tonight to add into some of the things that you talked about if not we're going to close it off and kind of give you the last comments uh, I'm, I would say, let's put this in perspective. Um, and I thought of this, the analogy would be as if you look and Pete, you probably seen this, all the reports, you should never use a weights, you know, the batting weights, a, a donut, a weighted bat, anything in the, on the on deck circle before you get up there, they've proven it literally slows your reaction time down. I mean, it time and time again, but do we still use, do you go out there, look in the pros, They've got the little, I mean, I've got a picture of like four different implements that weigh the bat down that they should not be using because everything in the world, there's nothing that says it's good for you. Let me put it that way. Wow. All right. But we still use it. Okay. There's, Even the another, pros. Hey, there's another show. Well, yeah. Well, I'm using that as an analogy as batting tea. Like, you know, no matter what is put out there and we can show and learning science, you know, what makes logical sense from the average Joe. And I was the average Joe until I really got stupidly crazy. And I like research, so that helped. But then I realized I was the status quo. Mm -hmm. I was going along because it's always been done. We've all been there. And I've broken that. And, you know, I'm breaking that for my players of the, of the weighted bat or doing all that stuff before you get to the plate. Um, it. So it's the same analogy. And is, is the world going to stop and stop using batting tees? No, they're not. Um, are, well, I say, could, should you use soft toss or batting tee? I tell you when you can, if you're coming up before practice and you just want to warm up and get loose, it's like stretching, go ahead. Take some, if you've got a bank, take some swings off, just have just somebody loosen do some up. soft toss, just yeah, to loosen up. up. But when it gets to training and you're really hard working on it, put them away then. So you can, you, I mean, that's the best thing I say. If you've got a batting tee, um, great, use it for warm up. But once you're done, 
do not and don't even try to work on any mechanics if you're just swinging just to swing just swing to swing to loosen up that's yeah. fine after that be done with it that's just yeah. what i've done and we've had great success with it that makes a ton of sense and that's what's great about it too is you've had the, the success to show it um and you know i was even thinking i mean you know i know we continue to do things that science shows us that is incorrect an example another one is diving at first base you know we still see it in the big leagues yet there's so much science that they've shown that it slows you down otherwise sprinters sprinters in the olympics would be diving at the line if that was the case (laughs) right i mean i know but if you're going to win a gold why not dive uh matt awesome again fantastic show love it i think the people are going to love it um don't forget um, we're going to have all of Matt's information on our show notes as we did on the last show. So if you got any questions, get a hold of them, get a hold of myself. I always forward Matt also questions if, if we have any. Matt, thank you, buddy. It's been fantastic. Yep. I have been a pleasure. It, uh, it's something I obviously deeply passionately love. And I'm glad you do uh, do this podcast with everybody else uh, just to help get people thinking. That's the main thing. Absolutely. And I love the passion. That's the most important thing. You can tell you love what you're doing. Keep it up. And folks, Matt Helke, I'm Pete Caliendo. Don't forget, go to baseballsidethebox.com for the audio. Go to YouTube, Peter Caliendo, Facebook, Peter Caliendo. And thank you, ESPN, Honolulu, for hosting our podcast on your website. And folks, don't forget, Caliendo Sports, taking a team to um, Dominican Republic. Uh, It'll be December 26th to January 2nd. 15, 14-year-olds, if you're interested, we're still looking for a few more players. One of the best experiences you can have internationally. And we're going to train, compete with Dominican players, um, and then obviously enjoy the culture there. It is an outstanding trip. Email me, Kaliendo19 at Gmail. Folks, stay healthy. Thank you to Matt again. Stay healthy, stay safe. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next show, everybody. Adios. This has been Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Listen online at BaseballOutsideTheBox.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Get all of our podcasts now at LineUpMedia.fm.